After the arrived trial, that infamous elective induction at 39 weeks came out in the fall of 2018, American College of OBGYN and another society supported that trial's uh, recommendation or conclusion. You know, I wish American College of OBGYN would retract that support for many reasons other than the fact that I think the flaws with the trial is real. But more importantly, we have what this, call, this thing called pandemic. For the past few years, we are dealing with a shortage of people. And just past weekend, I had two patients who needed to be induced for clear medical reason. Yes, even I have to induce people if there's clear medical reason. Guess what? They couldn't be admitted because there were two elective induction patients who were taking up two rooms. I want to talk about stillbirth. First of all, coming up with death rate related to stillbirth is really hard because definition is not clear and the way this particular uh, category is reported is not really organized. That being said, it was mentioned that by undergoing elective induction at 39th week, we take away the risk of stillbirth. Okay, what's it, what is the risk of stillbirth? So I found this study which looked at 13 studies and included 15 million pregnancies all low-risk, single pregnancy. And it is true, the risk of stillbirth from 38 weeks to 42 weeks is almost seven-fold increase. But that's going from 0.12 to 0.88 per 1,000 pregnancies. So it is sevenfold, but still well under one per thousand pregnancies. So if you're talking about low risk pregnancies, I think this scare tactic doesn't really work. What about another point about, oh, baby gets big because baby gains weight once pregnancy goes beyond uh, the due date? So how much does baby gain weight during pregnancy? Well, at its peak growth, around 33 weeks, about half pound per week. That growth rate falls to about little under three ounce per week come 40 weeks. So if you go from 40 to 41 to 42, maybe a few ounce, at the most under half pound. Again, not a good reason for elective induction at 39 weeks. Oh, it was also mentioned that the trial, in its one of the last points it had made, that by supporting 28 elective induction, one cesarean section could be avoided. Guess what? If 14 laboring women are supported with continuous labor support, one 
cesarean section could be avoided. 28 versus 14, I like 14 better than 28. The point is, are there clear indications for induction? Yes. But I really don't believe elective induction at 39 weeks during the time of pandemic is a way to go. I really don't see any benefit. Talking about indications for induction of labor. Again, I want to talk about a few scenarios where I think there's a wiggle room. No one says you have to be induced exactly at 39 weeks, 40 weeks, 41, 42. But let's talk about AMA or advanced maternal age. In this country, one out of five of you are over 35. Personally, I think it's great age, mid-30s, prime of your life, but Mother Nature says otherwise because compared to younger pregnant patients, we're dealing with more potential pregnancy-related complications. And many, many providers really recommend induction of labor at 39 weeks for pregnant women over 35. This is especially true for pregnant women who's having baby for the first time, um, for people who are 39 or older, African-Americans, and other risk factors such as obesity. So, say you are 35 and six months, you're having your first baby, and your doctor says, based on your age, even though you have no other indications, because of increased risk of a stillbirth, and because at 39 weeks, newborn isn't really gonna have any problems with complications, induction of labor is discussed and recommended. The problem is, if this topic comes up at one of your earlier prenatal visits, then that's gonna be in your head. Even though you spend entire prenatal care with no significant complications, all the tests are normal, you're gonna be reminded more than once because of your age, you should be induced at 39 weeks. And this is your first pregnancy. And induction of labor, which, which, which we're talking about, is uh, mainly with Pitocin. Starting contraction patterns, you can have a vaginal delivery. Often requires cervical ripening. And if you're having your baby for the first time at 39 weeks, Odds are that your cervix probably feels like tip of your nose, and it is thick, you're not dilated, and your cervix probably is really high, hard to reach, and the baby's head probably is not presenting in the pelvis. So not a favorable cervix for Pitocin. So your doctor says, well, you know, we have some options, some medication by mouth, vaginal, or catheter into your, uh, your, into your cervix. If this is brought up, then you should say, okay, can you tell me pros and cons? How long will it take? Will it take a day or two? If, it, if it's Monday, will I have my baby by Tuesday, Wednesday? How many doctors will I see? If it doesn't work after a couple of days, do I have the option of going home? 
or rather than starting this process at 39 weeks, could I be seen maybe every other day with either ultrasound for biophysical profile or non-stress test? I'm happy to check my blood pressure at home, do daily kick counts. In addition to being seen every other day, cry by some time. And, you know, in my practice, I want to say definitely 50% or more of my patients are over 35. And I think they come to my practice because they know or they heard Chun really does not do much induction. At the same time, my job is to provide information for my patients from the very first visit and let them know all the things they are supposed to do, all the ways to stay relaxed and wait for this natural process to take place. Advanced maternal age affects so many of you. And I really want you to think about that discussion about induction with your provider. I think if you're otherwise healthy and no other complications during your pregnancy, then I really think you have time to wait. Let's talk about another topic, chronic hypertension. So in pregnancy, we really think about four types of hypertension. Chronic hypertension, which means you had this particular condition where your blood pressure is consistently over 140 over 90 before pregnancy or diagnosed before 20th week. And then you have gestational hypertension, which means new onset of hypertension during the second half of pregnancy without anything else, like proteinuria, which means protein in urine, or no other symptoms. And then you have preeclampsia, which is new onset of hypertension, again, diagnosed as 140 over 90, um, with proteinuria or protein in, in urine, or without proteinuria, but having symptoms such as new onset of headache, blur vision, abdominal pain, discomfort, pulmonary edema, maybe problem with breathing, lab abnormalities for kidney, liver, platelet. And then the fourth type of hypertension is chronic hypertension with preeclampsia. But I want to talk about chronic hypertension because this affects a lot of people. The question is, do you have to be induced at certain point? Again, if you have just chronic hypertension and all your labs during your pregnancy is normal, no proteinuria, no lab abnormality, no symptoms, and you are not on any medication, then you don't have to be induced that particular number of weeks. But you're going to be told by your provider, you know, because of your chronic hypertension, even though you had no abnormalities and no fetal growth restriction, I recommend we start the process for induction of labor. Again, many of you, this is your first pregnancy, so your cervix is going to need some help with cervical ripening agents. Same thing. Another example, like advanced maternal age, 
this is where you have time to let Mother Nature do her thing. So what happens towards the end of typical pregnancy? I think this is what I think happens. For, first of all, the unborn fetus of yours is going to get stronger, uh, more iron storage, more fat storage, so which means better temperature control after delivery, better sucking for milk after delivery. And once the baby's head kind of hits the pelvis, then maybe something happens to the cervix. Something kind of starts the process for production of prostaglandin, which makes the cervix thinner, maybe have the cervix kind of open up. And as estrogen hormone goes up, but progesterone hormone goes down, it makes the uterus more sensitive to oxytocin. And at some point, labor starts. The problem is that we don't know when that starts. And this is a big mystery for me. I think about that organ, which is made primarily with muscle, so that a non-pregnant uterus weighs like four ounces. It's mostly muscle. How come we don't understand this organ? We have driverless cars. We can send spaceships. We do so many things. Why don't we understand this organ? I think it's the most amazing organ in human body. And yet, in 2022, we don't understand. So what I tell patients is this. You know, other than the action you took to get pregnant, there's no more actions to be had for the entire pregnancy. You can react, and I can react. We react to whatever your pregnancy does. But we don't act, meaning unless there's a clear reason we don't act, no intervention, no induction of labor. We have that due date, which is rough estimate, and 70% of you will deliver within that 10-day window frame, frame. And it'll happen when, I don't know, this is game of Jenga. You know, at some point, the last piece gets pulled and the whole thing falls off. Labor starts. So, if you are pregnant and in you are last month of your pregnancy or last two months of your pregnancy, a few things you can do to really buy time. I think all of you should do meditation daily, like five minutes. There are great apps like Calm, five minutes a day, daily, about the same time every day. Get a blood pressure cuff from Amazon, typically $40, and maybe bring that blood pressure cuff to one of your visits and have your provider or MA or nurse show you how to use it correctly. And check your blood pressure once a day. And let's not wait for your blood pressure to go up. And then, ideally, maybe after dinner, 
do kick counts. 10 movements over two hours. I'm convinced that if you do this daily meditation, daily blood pressure check, and daily kick counts, it may sound boring because whether you do this for a month or two months, it may really feel like you are doing the same thing over and over. But you know what? That means everything's fine. That means you're fine. Baby's fine. And we wait for Mother Nature to take over. And then we can react to that event. One of my kids, yes, I have kids. In fact, I have five, five amazing kids, asked me, you did what? You, you started a TikTok account? I said, yeah. I mean, I have an account on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Why not TikTok? I was asked, why did you do that? I said, well, you know, I think I have information that I should share with people. Beyond my immediate world with my patients and greater Boston, greater New England, there is you to be had. Why do I think what comes out of my mouth is worthy of your time? Well, a post by post, I've been trying to share with you my personal story. Why did I become an OBGYN? I talked about my mother, my grandmother, how I came to be, my early years. And I think for the most part, people who have played major role in my life are women. And of course, all of you, patients. 25 patients I saw today, I always learned something. Having done this for 30 some years gives me experience. The fact that I was trained before the age of cell phone. Yeah, one of these. Before this ever came about is when I went through my training. And having delivered thousands of babies and having done many major GYN surgeries, including robotic surgery, I have gained lots of experience. And I'm convinced that good number of you don't have access to someone like me. And what I want to do is give you or share stories, give you perhaps other options, so that whether you're in the middle of Midwest, South, or New Zealand, Australia, or other parts, think about other options. Unless you have clear medical reason and you need to have a deadline, pregnancy for the most part, it's, it's an autopilot. You don't really have to do anything. I tell my patients that pregnancy should not be an obstacle. You're pregnant, forget about pregnancy, just live a life because you're more than just a person who happens to be pregnant. And having this approach for all these years, I think I have served my patients well. And if you're curious about my patients, go on 
healthgrades.com, which I think is one of the largest doctor review sites available, read what my patients say because what they say is true. I listen. I offer what I think, and if I don't have the answer my patient is looking for, then I find them for them. And when it comes to pregnancy, this miracle of life, I take it very seriously. I tell my patients from the very first visit that we're going to have this intimate relationship where I am responsible for you and your little being. It's not just physical. It's spiritual. It's psychological. The fact that we do all routine tests and patients are seen at intervals from four weeks to two weeks to weekly to every few days, and then little miracle is born, and then I see my patients every week or two until my patient is well, whether it's six weeks, six months, or a year. I've done this many times over and over. And every one of you are different. And why did I tell you very personal stories? Because that makes those stories what I'm about. I didn't just go through medical school and went through residency training. For almost half century in this country, and for 12 years in Korea, I have lived, I have seen, I've heard, I've gained tools, knowledge, information, which I think many of you need. It sounds like I am promoting myself. Well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But I tell you what, I am very comfortable supporting my patients from all walks of life. The fact that one of my, old, one of my patients, this will tell you to what length I go to. A patient who's been with me for well over 20 years decided to have her first baby at age of 46. And she lived like an hour away from me. And I got to play a role in her pregnancy and her delivery. And she delivered, I think, 10 days after her due date. Did I tell you that she was 46? Yeah. That required my patient trusting me, me trusting my experience, my knowledge, the fact that I, my job was to support my patient who wanted to go into labor on her own and to be part of their process, that means I don't practice medicine based on my insecurity. I throw that aside. My job is to support my patients. My job is to support you. And reading some of the comments, many of you need more information. If I could, I would hold your hand every time. And for all of you who are looking for advice, I wish I could tell you right away. 
And for different reasons, including busy practice and five kids, I'm not always able to answer your questions, but I hope to by posting these little by little. I hope to address all the questions, all the subjects you have. So if I talk about my intimate personal stories without any blushing, that's because I'm old. That's because I'm a seasoned, experienced human being who happens to be woman's health care provider. And I think we have made many good connections, and I think we'll be making a lot more connections. And I'm here. I'm available. I'm always curious as to what your questions are. And I want to tell all of you how strong you are, how powerful you are. The fact that you are able to endure nine months and make this permanent, lifelong commitment, you do something we, us men, cannot do. For all of you who have lost and had miscarriages or death, I'm sorry for your experience. And for many of you who are trying, I hope it works out. But here in this space that I've created, I'm extremely comfortable. So hit me with your best shots, you know? <laughs>